Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Yeah, I'm trying to... Thinking of running up to this, uh, I mean, this particular subject we're dealing with and who is man. So what is man? Um, again, uh, our text is um, Psalm 8, reading from verse number 3. Uh, that's our text, as usual. Psalm 8, reading from number 3. When I consider the heavens, the work of the hands... The moon and the stars, with the house ordained. What is man that art mindful of him, and the son of man that have visited him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of their hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet. Amen. That is the consideration we are having. And, uh, Last week I tried to illustrate this to you precisely from the life of Jesus, according to Hebrews chapter 2. Um, so today I'm just going to deal with that passage fully as we round it up. But I want you to understand that everything that is written about Jesus here is supposed to be illustrative of our lives as God has ordained it from the very beginning. So Hebrews 2, uh, we read from verse number 5, but I would like us to read it from the message translation. From the message translation. Praise God. And the Bible said, God didn't put angels in charge of this business of salvation that we are dealing with here. Remember, I tried to illustrate to us last week that Jesus is to us a kinsman redeemer. And that after the fall, man lost dominion over the works of God's hand, which he has created and allowed him to have dominion on. So Jesus came to redeem man so that man can get back to the place of dominion again. And that's exactly what we're dealing with here. That's the scripture is saying about the issue of salvation. Now verse 6 says, He says in scripture, What is man and woman that you bother with them? Why take a second look their way? That is what we're dealing with now. What is man? Why are you concerned about human being? So we find that it's because man has fallen from the place of the ultimate dominion that he was supposed to have. And God have to make, bring in the process of redemption, which is now salvation, which is what we're not dealing with. And that is why Jesus have to come. So the excess of Jesus coming from what we're beginning to see here is to bring man back to the place of dominion and authority. The original place that God has placed him. Because the, the concern about God here is man. Why are you concerned about man? 
Remember at the beginning, let's make man an image after our likeness, let him have dominion. And this was disrupted through the process of the fall. And so there have to be a redemption from that process of the fall back to the place of original state. And so Jesus came to illustrate to us, not only to save us, but to tell us or speak to us exactly what it is or what it ought to be to be a son of God, made in his image and likeness. Amen? All right, verse 7. You made them not quite as high as angels, bright with Eden's dawn light. Now, this is important because if you follow precisely, Adam was a light being in Eden. Is that okay? There was a glory in Eden. There was a place of dominion and authority. Remember, after God has made my place, them in a place called Garden of Eden. Right? A garden east of Eden. And it's letting have dominion. That realm called Eden is a realm of glory, it's a realm of light, it's a realm of dominion. It's not just one geographical piece of land somewhere. Well, let's understand that. But it's a state of pleasantness. The word Eden means pleasant, it means delight. So it's a state of pleasantness, a place of delight. And that's the position God had man. And in that realm was a place of brightness. When I use the word brightness, I'm saying man was actually inhabiting a realm of glory that illustrates what we call brightness. It is a realm, or it was a realm, that the devil can touch, the devil can operate in, and that is why I made us understand from the book of Timothy, you read, and it said, Adam was not in the transgression, but the woman was. Remember that. Why? Because he was in a state of light. The light that was bearing, the light that was carrying in that Eden state was impenetrable, impregnatable by darkness. Darkness cannot comprehend it. John 1 now says that. Darkness cannot comprehend the light, cannot understand it, cannot overcome it. And that was the state that Adam was. So we find that the devil did not go to Adam, the devil went to the woman. I've said that several times. Remember that. Good. So, scripture says Adam was not in the transgression. Now, you always ask again, so why then did God, I mean, Adam have to be punished or whatever? I also illustrate that to us. The simple principle there is, if Adam had not followed Eve out of the garden or partaken of the sin or the death of Adam, I mean of Eve, then Jesus would not have died for the church. Amen? Yeah, so Adam died by partaking of the sin or the death of Eve, so that Jesus now will be able to die in the death of the church, which is the wife, which is humanity, in quote. Praise God. So, what is place saying that it's a place of light, a place of glory that God ordained man to be? So, that's when God put them in charge of everything. Amen? All right. Let's quickly look at verse number nine. Okay. Go on to verse number eight. Then you put them, hallelujah, you put them in charge of everything. Nothing was excluded, but we don't see it yet. Notice that. Don't see everything under human jurisdiction. And that is the point. Why? In this state that we are, we are not able yet to have all things under control. 
by implication, under our feet. Amen? You are so concerned about man, the word is saying, in the original state of your design, you want man to have dominion. But now, we don't see man yet having all of the dominion that you had for man. Because man fell. But remember, even in the midst of that, remember when we say we don't see man yet, it also speaks of the father. Yes, at this stage, you can have a measure of dominion, but not all things are now under dominion or under authority. We don't see man yet. Yet means there was a position and there is a position that's supposed to be. But everything is not yet under man. Amen? But that is not to say you can have a measure of dominion now. You are meant to have a measure of dominion at this stage of your life that you are in. Praise God. All right, verse number nine. Now say, so what we do see is Jesus made. Now, you begin to see the illustration. You begin to see the connection. We don't see everything on the man yet, but we see something in Jesus. Amen? Okay. Not quite as high as angels. In other words, it was made a little bit lower as well. Man was made a little bit lower. Jesus was made a little bit lower. Okay. And then, through the experience of death, crowned so much higher than any angel. With the glory bright with Eden's light or Eden does light. Amen? So we can say that the state of man in Eden was angelic in a state. The state of man in Eden was angelic in comparison. And so Jesus was brought out from that realm. What I mean now? Lower state such that he could not exhibit the whole of that glory, in quote, that we have, which is called angelic being. It's a bright with Eden's glory, light, or dead or light. In that death, by God's grace, he fully experienced death in every person's place. And I want you to get that. Praise the Lord. The position that he was brought in, the void of that Eden's bright glory done, was because he has to partake of the nature of man. So now he was lowered, I tried to explain expressly last week as well, from that glorious realm to the position of man. Praise the Lord. That he may experience death for everyone or every person's place. And I say that again. When he say he tastes that, it means he experienced it. It means he partook of the death you were supposed to partake on. By implication, the punishment that was due you, he took it. The poison you were supposed to take, he took it. The cup of death you were supposed to take because of your state, he took it. Amen? So, by implication, God is not holding you guilty for any of your previous offenses or even that we relates to Christ. Any, I mean, to Adam anymore. Because he took the penalty. He took the consequences of your action, of your state. He took it. Praise God. 
And because they have taken it, therefore you are free from everything that God. That's why when people teach and say, your sins, present, I mean past, present, or future are forgiven. You know, it's difficult for people to comprehend that. It's difficult to comprehend that. But that's exactly what it is. Because, remember, as a high priest, he continued to make intercession. And the blood he shed, the propitiation, was for once and for all. Once and for all means he takes care of any sin at any point in time. Why is it once and for all? You compare what the, the early priests were doing. They do it every year. Is that okay? So, like this year, you bring in your lamb and then sacrifice, the blood is sprinkled, and your sins are cleansed for the one of last year. And then you keep on living. And then when you go to next year, you bring another lamb at the end of the year. So that the sins you committed from January to December, in quote, are cleansed again. The other year, you have to keep on repeating it. And that is why the priest is always standing. But you see, in the case of Jesus, he said, finish the sacrifice once and for all, and he sat down. Why is he sitting down? Because there is no more sacrifice to offer. They together. It's not going to stand up again and go to the most holy place to begin to offer sacrifices for any sin you committed. Did you get the picture? That is why they say what they say. And, and actually, it's a, matter, it's a matter of fact. So, he offered the sacrifice once and for all. Once and for all. And because he offered the sacrifice once and for all, he's not going to stand up tomorrow to begin to offer sacrifices for the sins you commit today. Are we together? Yeah, I want you to get it because this is very important. So when people make that statement, don't get confused about it. Others may want to fight it, may want to argue it, but you don't need to. That's the simple truth. He offered the sacrifice once and for all. The next thing is, he intercedes continually in the presence of God as a high priest. And since he's doing that, he's not going to do it and stop one day. He does it continuously. Did you follow that? Hey, are we together? Yeah, I want you to get it because very, very important. So when people make that statement, your sins yesterday, today, and even the future are forgiven, don't be confused about it. Understand why that statement is made. Because this high priest that we have is not the one that continuously offers sins on our behalf. He did it once and for all. And for all ages. And so when he finished with his sin sacrifice as a high priest, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. But as compared to the Old Testament, the Aaronic priesthood, you know, they don't sit down. They have to continuously offer. Every time the alarm is brought, they offer the sin. So they always stand. So it's a comparison between the Old Testament priesthood and the New Testament priesthood. Amen. Praise God. So I want you to get that. And it's very important. So he took this experience, or he tasted for every person's sin, or whatever. I didn't. He experienced death in every person's place. He experienced death in every person's place. Every person. Not some. Um, we were having a discussion. This is also very hard. With uh, an elderly guy. Yeah. He understood the scripture is somebody that I I can't even say that I can sit down at his feet, Bob Jones by name, 
to learn if it is possible. He understood the Greek and the, you know, but now he was making a statement talking about like it's not saying it that everybody we have to be saved. That this is the gift of God and you have to reject the gift of God, therefore you can be saved. Some people are going to I said, well, I don't want to go into any argument, but you need to explain this to me. One, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. In Romans chapter 5, the Bible tells you, by one man sin entered into the world. By one man, the gift of righteousness. I don't know if I get in that. Praise the living God. If you go to the book of Second Chronicles or so, you'll be able to read. Because people will say, well, that's a closing period where nothing again can happen. Now, this is what I'm saying a little bit deep. People don't like to hear this, and people don't like to also even talk about it, because it looks like it's contradicting I mean, the thing that God is doing. But remember, when they were coming out of Israel, there were those that were supposed to take the, the communion, even quote, the Passover sacrifice, as they used to have it which has to do with sanctification, cleansing, and all that. And we're meant to understand certain group of people were not there when this ceremony was going on. And when they came, they, they intend to so well, mostly have to go to God. Now, these people were not there when this service was going on, the sacrifice or whatever you want to call that now, was going on. What do you want me to do? God said, no, allow them to partake of it. So, what is that supposed to mean? What do you call a second chance? They miss the first one, but they got the second one. I don't even get in there. <laughs> I'll make you see this some other time. But that's the point I'm trying to say. So the point is this. For me, if one soul ever gets missing from what God is doing, then the blood of Adam is stronger than the blood of Jesus. I don't know if you're getting that. Because he came to balance what went wrong. Now, in Luke 15 through 16 chapter, you see Jesus gave some five parables there. I explained that to you some time ago. Look at the parable of the lost coin. Look at the parable of the lost sheep. And God said, they will have to leave all of those lost sheep, the 99, and look for the one that is missing. You remember that? The one that has the coin, we have to light a lamp and sweep the whole house to look for that lost coin. What is that teaching you? There is not one coin God has, one ship God has that is missing that he will not look for. Do you understand what I mean? So I dropped the note there and he simply called me back. I mean, wrote back to me, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm meditating on this. I'm thinking about this. It changes thinking. And by the way, I've only viewed the whole thing. You understand that? He said, I'm meditating on this. This is a good word you gave to me. Praise God. So, he takes death for every person. Every, every. That's what I want you to get. Now, understand that grace is not ending in your age. Amen? Okay. Let me show this to you again. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 5 and 6. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. 
King James. Even when we're dead in sins, had he quickened us together with Christ. By grace he has saved. I want you to know the word. How are you saved? You are saved by grace. Look at the next thing. And I raised us up together. I made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at the next thing. That. I want you to see the connection. We are saved by grace. That is verse 5. We are sitting together with him in heavenly places. Verse 6. Verse 7. So what happened? That in the ages to come, we, I mean, he might show his exceeding riches of his grace. That's the by which I say, in his kindness towards us through who? To Jesus Christ. In other words, those who are sitting with him in heavenly places will be the one to extend this grace to other people in the ages to come. So, Grace is not ending with your age. Grace extends to other ages. Did you get that? And because he extended to other ages, he's preparing the people that will carry that grace. You remember, the Bible said Jesus came with grace and truth. So we're having a company of people that will also step out with grace and truth for the ages to come. So grace is not ending in your age. Rather, he's preparing people that will extend grace to other ages. Did you follow this? Are we together? All right. So now, let's look at something. Go, go with me to Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3. Let me read something there. Uh, King James, anyway. We're looking at Jesus now. Remember, it was made a little lower, we are told. Hebrews. Yeah. Hebrews 1, verse number 3. King James. Who being the brightness of his glory. Who is he talking about? Jesus Christ. Remember the brightness of Eden. Brightness of Eden. Are you getting that? Good. Who be the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. The image means a replica. Is that okay? Good. And upholding all things by the words of his power, when he had by himself poured your sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, be made so. I've, I've just spoken about this. He finished sacrifice, what did he do? He sat down. Unlike the old priests, they keep on standing, they keep on ministering regularly in the temple to clean the sins of people. But Jesus did this once and for all. And then did, what did he do? He sat down. No more work to do in terms of sin offering. Verse 8. Be made so much better than the angels. Now watch this. With Job being told, it was made a little bit lower than the angels. Now you've got to follow. It's the same thing with man. Man is made a little bit lower than what? Than the angels. Is that okay? So the next thing he says is, Be made so much better than the angels, and, had by, and he had been a, by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Than what? Than the angels. What is the name? For unto which of the angels had he at any time, I mean, for which, unto which of the angels said it at any time, thou art my son. So the name 
though you have the name Jesus. But the key point is, son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me what? A son. Now, he never said this to any angel. Are you getting what I'm saying now? So, when the Bible says, <laughs> help me, Jesus. When the Bible now said, to them that believe you get power to become what? The sons of God. You begin to understand. You who were a slave, as it were, by reason of the sacrifice of the sins of Adam, you are now being made what? A son through the process of salvation in who? In Jesus Christ. No angel was ever referred to as a son. That title is not given to any created being. It's only given to begotten sons. Come on. Help me, Jesus. That means you being a son, you are higher than angels. Because God is your father. But angels are created beings. You get the difference now? Look at verse 6. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he said, and let all the angels of God do what? Worship him. Praise God. Let the angels of God do what? Worship him. That means angels worship the sun. So if you be a son of God, remember what I, I believe he's saying this in Matthew chapter 6, I mean chapter yeah, 6 verse 7, when he said, when he said, teach us to pray, what he said, when you pray, say, our father, which are the heaven, right? So, if he say, our father, that means automatically we become sons of God. And here he's saying, angels should worship what? The son. So, what's the implication of that? You becoming sons of God shows that angels are meant to do what? To worship you. Not you worshiping angels. Did you get that? Remember, by reason of the fall, help me now. By reason of the fall, Angel was in charge, if you will, of your life even. You could worship angels in that state of the fall. But once you get to the place of restoration, angels are meant to worship you. And I made it to understand some time ago. Do you even know why you went to the pool of Bethesda? I mean, if you can remember when I explained that to you. Let me take it again. It's in Acts chapter 7. It is made up to understand that angels gave the law to Moses. The common understanding, the Hebrew people believe that the law were given to Moses through angels. In other words, God gave the law to angels and angels passed the law to Moses. Well, of course, that is also correct because why? As far as the old economy was concerned, they were slaves, they were no sons. Get it right. The Old Testament never makes you a son. It always makes you a slave. So when the Bible says, we do not have the spirit of fear in the book of Romans chapter 6, I mean chapter 8, it's referring to what happened on Mount Sinai. When fear gripped the children of Israel. So we are no longer bondage to fear. Remember that? What that's supposed to mean is, we don't fear God anymore. God is our father. So only slaves fear. The word bondage means slave. Did you get that? Okay, so law was given to 
angels pass on to the slaves, if you will. So when Jesus came and saw, they were worshiping angels, they were venerate angels, they have angels have regard, especially the Jewish people. So when Jesus came, he went to the pool. Remember, what was happening to the pool? The pool had to be stirred by what? By angels for healing to take place. So he went to the pool. I remember he asked the, the person that was there, how long you been here? Okay, do you want to be healed? No angel to stir the water and said, take up your bed and walk, get out of this place. What did he go there to do? He just went to prove to the people that the era for angel to minister healing is over. I am the one that ministers healing. The time for angelic ministration in this regard, producing healing, is over. Take up your bed and walk. Get out of this place. Praise God. Are you following that? So angels were meant to worship him now in that regard. So let's move on to verse number 7. And of the angels they see it, who may carry the hear the angel spirit and the minister what? A flame of fire. Verse 8. But unto the sound they see it, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, except of righteousness, it is set of what? Of thy kingdom. Praise God. Did you get that? Are you with me? Good. So Jesus is now highly exalted. This exaltation is coming after, in quote, his resurrection. He took our nature, right? And then he died. And then he, he was exalted into a higher realm of glory place of dominion and it's a picture of your life it's a picture of what God intends to do it's a picture of what God is doing remember he's saying who is man that you are mindful of him why are you concerned the answer is what we're looking at why is God concerned about man because it was only man he has said to have dominion over the earth not devils not angels man is so if he's not concerned about man that means his agenda for what the earth should be, it's all gone. There will be nobody to manage the earth the way he intended it to be. It's only meant for man. Hallelujah. The heavens, the only place of God and the earth has he given to who? To the sons of men. Hallelujah. And this is why, hey, 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 come on now. This is why before he would do anything, he would look for a man. This is why, help me now. Before he could go to Sodom and Gomorrah, he looked for a man. Oh no. I don't know if you are following this. He could directly go to Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy, but he looked for a man. Abraham had to show up as an intercessor and begin to say, No, if you get 50, no. If you get 40, no. If you get 30, you get 20. You understand what I'm saying? He was listening to man. Why? Because the earth has it given to the sons of men to do what? To have dominion over. So it's not going to transpass into your territory. Even though he's a sovereign God, he still seeks your opinion on what to do. That is why intercessors are very important as far as the work of God is concerned. That is why the position of intercessors is so strong that whatever thing they actually decree, if they are working in concern with God, God honors it. Praise God. You follow me? Alright. So, go with me. Let's look at the character of Jesus. What will bring him to this level of exaltation. You see the process of his life. Philippians chapter 2. I'm reading from verse number 1. Message translation. Philippians 2 from message translation. But is anybody catching this? 
Very important. Philippians 2. If gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being a community of the Spirit means anything to you, I like this. A community of the Spirit. What community of the Spirit? The sons of God, the church. If being in the church means anything to you, uh, somebody will say, Pastor, what do you mean? Oh, yes. Galatians 4 tells you that. There were two covenants, there were two mountains. And one is, Hagar is of the flesh. Sarah is of the spirit. I mean, have you understand that? Good. And the Sarah lineage, which is the Isaac lineage, moved on to, to Christ. So, we are talking of community of the spirit. We are talking of those who are born into Mount Zion, not those who are born into Mount Sinai. Do you understand what I mean? Community of the spirit simply means the New Testament believers. Oh no. Whew. Praise God. So if you belong to the community of the spirit, means anything to you. Does it mean anything to you? For being a Christian, does it mean anything to you? For being a believer, that's what he's saying. If you have a heart, <laughs> oh God, but I know everybody got a heart. <laughs> Praise God. If you have a heart, that means we're talking of a heart of the believers. That a heart to be a different heart from the unbeliever and the believer. There's a different heart. Oh, no, no, no. From the Old Testament people and the New Testament people. Remember, the laws were written on tablets of stone, but now the law is written where? In your heart. If you have a heart that have the laws of God, if you care, glory to God. That means, I want you to follow this. If you got in anything at all out of following Christ, do you? I don't know. If his love has made any difference in your life, if being a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart that contains the law, if you care about being a Christian, <laughs> look at the next thing. Then do for me a favor. Praise God. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be dispirited, friends. Praise the living God. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. And you know Abraham did this to, uh, to Lot. Remember that. When the husband of Lot and Abraham were having the struggle, what did he do? He set himself aside and said, you Lord, make the first choice. Lord was supposed to be junior. Lord was supposed to be, you make the first choice. Be on the lead. If you have a heart, if you have the love, if you are a spiritual community, do this for me. And Paul calls that favor. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Help others get ahead. Verse 12, mommy verse 4. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage don't try it in trying to get your own advantage. If you have the spirit, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, if you care for the community that you belong to, don't be obsessed. 
with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a happy hand. Amen. Praise God. Now I'm, I'm trying to give you the characteristics of Jesus Christ. All of these things we're describing is the nature of who? Of Christ. This is exactly what Christ did. He abandoned himself. He abandoned his glory. He abandoned everything that he was supposed to do. Now go to verse 5. Think of yourself the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. Did you get the picture now? Are we here? He had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages that that status no matter what. I want you to look at this. Not at all. Go back to it. He had equal status with God but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. No matter what. No matter the circumstance. He chose not to cling to it. Hallelujah. Are you there? Look at verse 7. Not at all. He chose not to. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of who? Of a slave. Became human. And that's the explanation I was given to you. Can you get that? In human status, we're just like slaves. Bondage. Praise the living God. Are you still with me? If you are in the spirit, if you have come to the community of spirited people, do this for me. Think about Jesus. So when the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity. Colossians 2, 9 will tell you that. He carried the whole glory of God. He was full of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's deity. The place of God. He set it aside. And took on the status of a slave. Somebody who serves people without thinking. You understand that? Became what? Human. Now, remember what we're saying. He dropped himself from the realm of glory into a lower dimension. So when he said, Jesus was made lower than the angels, you understand this. It is not as if God, in quote, made him so. He chose to become so. By reason of the ministry that he was to carry. Are you getting what I'm saying? He became human. And that condition of being human makes him a slave. And this slave is to serve. That is why he said, I have not come to lead. I have come to serve. He made him a servant to everybody. He said, let this mind also be in you. Praise the living God. Look at verse 8. Having become human, he stayed human. Either <laughs> he choose to get out of the state. Hallelujah. Having become human, he chose not to get out of being human. If he wanted to, he can. I want you to get that. Everything was by choice. Remember what he told Pilate? You have no power over me if I wanted to. I can call legions of angels and they can come and minister to me. I mean, you remember that? Because of the son. 
But he chose not to do that. He chose not to defend himself. Anytime you question him, he chose not to say anything about who he is, as a matter of fact. Praise the Lord. Come on. And the King James says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus as a human being. And so, having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredible, humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Selfless living. Is that okay? And selfless death. When he says selfless death because he never committed a crime. He died for you and for me. Hallelujah. And he died the worst kind of death. What was kind of death? Crucifixion. Or meant for criminals. He died the death of a criminal. He took the place of criminals. And I mentioned that last week. To the place of Barabbas. Who was a thief and a murderer. So for you and I, who were qualified to die this death, he took our place. Hallelujah. And remember, he accepted to do it. Verse 9. Because of that obedience, verse number 9, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything else, if you will. Anything ever. Because of that obedience. What obedience? Selfless service, selfless death. God now did what honor him. Above or beyond anyone or anything ever. By implication, the honor he got is higher than that of angels. Are you getting it now? So let's look at the next verse 10. So that all created beings, angels now, in heaven and earth, even those long ago dead and buried, we bow in worship before the Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God who? The Father. Praise God. Did you get the meaning? Because of this. And now, King James said, at the name of Jesus, every nature bow. And our tongue should confess that Jesus, you, is Lord. That's the praise now he's talking about. He got this honor because of the kind of suffering, the pains, the temptation he went through. Just like you are and I. And then God honored him at the end of the day. When you are honored, no man can take the honor from you. When God honored you, no man can take that honor from you. Hallelujah. I told you on Sunday, I was speaking with somebody talking about meeting. And the next thing the Lord told me, if you open a door, it can be shut. But if I open a door, it cannot be shut. I have to call and consult the meeting. No more interested. I don't think I get in that. He knows where I should be. He understands where I should be. You see, the key point is this. We walk by obedience. We just live by obedience. We just live like fools before people. You understand that? And when he honors you, even such people who make fool of you will end up warm, bowing before you. 
They gave him a name. Even those who insulted Jesus and abused him, what happened at the end? They are the ones now that begin to honor Jesus. Remember that? Praise the living God. Okay, a few more minutes. Go with me now to Hebrew 2 again, verse number 8. Let's go back to Hebrew chapter 2, verse number 8, message translation. See, talking about man. Why are you mindful of him? Hebrews 2, verse number 8. Okay. What is mind of your mind following? Is that okay? Right. Made him a little lower than the ages. Now, verse number 8. Then you put them in charge of your entire handicraft world. You put them in charge. It makes good sense that the God who got everything started and keeps everything going now completes the work. By making, watch this. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? Very good. Remember I'm reading verse number 10 now. Go to verse 10. It makes good sense that a God who got everything started and keeps everything going now completes the work by making the salvation pioneer and perfect through suffering as he leads all these people to glory. What is he saying there? When he talks about the pioneer of our salvation, he's talking about Jesus. Do you understand it now? The processes went through of his being born as a human being, of his being, you know, in that position of suffering, everything he's gone through is to bring God back to where? The realm of glory. So all these people, and that includes you, he says it's leading us, these people, where? To glory. It's leading us to glory. Now we have to accept him to lead us to glory. We have to, that is why Philippians 2 is very important. Because it takes those qualities, those characters in you to accept who he is. That's why I say, let this mind be in you, which was also you in Christ Jesus. Now, as you accept the mind to walk in that spirited life, that love life, that not being of sales, no obsession by anything, and then what happens? His work of salvation begins to work in your life, and it brings you to the place of glory. By implication, as he was honored, and all realms of creation begin to bow to worship him, I give me a name that's a very other name. Even so, when you come to the realm of glory, all realms of creation will also do what? Will worship you. Because a corporate son is the head of the body. Praise the living God. Are we still here? All right. So, look at verse 11. Since the one who saves all those who are saved have a common origin. Jesus doesn't hesitate to treat them as what? As a family. We have a common origin. Is that okay? How is the origin? Outside of being God-sent and God's spirit, he became human. He remained human. And so we all have the same origin. Hallelujah. And so we are one family. And everything the firstborn has, the other children are supposed to have. The only difference in the Old Testament is the firstborn son have a double portion. 
Why would the fourth bonds have a double portion? Because with one portion, it takes care of your own immediate family. With the other portion, it takes care of the extended family. That's why it has to have a double portion. Double portion is not for your consumption. So even when we do services and we talk about service of double portion anointing, we begin to understand what we are talking about. Anytime you talk about double portion as a firstborn son, what it means is you have enough for yourself and you have enough for your extended family. So how many of us are really taking care of our extended families because we prayed and we go to a service of double portion? We're violating scriptures because we don't know exactly what it means. When we say double portion, we're thinking of having excess money or more money than we used to have before. Hallelujah. Okay, verse 12. So we are one family with Jesus. Saying, I will tell my good friends, my brothers and sisters, all I know about you, about who? About God. And I will join them in worship and praise to your name. Hallelujah. I will tell them about you. What is that supposed to mean? About God. So Jesus came to reveal God to us as a family. We lost our understanding. We lost our consciousness being human, being in sin. And Jesus came for way of salvation and he said, I'm going to talk to them about you. Hallelujah. So you will find Jesus explaining who God is unto us. And he will tell you what. If you see me, you'll see what? The Father. Because the Father is in spirit. But if you see me, you send the Father. And the express image and the glory of the Father. And the Bible will say, even as God sent me, so send I you. So a time comes when you too will become the express image and the glory of the Father. Hallelujah. And that's exactly what the whole process of salvation is all about. Salvation is about coming back to the place of glory, not flying up to heaven, you know, whatever the case may be. No, 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 no. That is not the purpose of salvation. The world said, why are you concerned about man and the woman? Why are you mindful of man? Because these are the men that were supposed to have dominion, take authority over everything on the face of the earth. Amen? Praise the living God. Verse 13. We're going to close here. And again, he put himself in the same family cycle when he says, Even I live by placing my trust in God. And yet again, I'm here with the children God gave me. Oh, glory. You know what it means to put trust in God? Remember what he said. I'm going to be speaking to them about you. Okay? And then I also have to put trust in God. What that's supposed to mean? I have faith in God. He that come to the Lord must believe that he is. And it's a reward of them that diligently seek him. To put trust in God means to have faith. That means Jesus had faith in God. It is either. So one of the qualities that you are supposed to get as a believer is to have what? Faith in God. Because Jesus demonstrated this. You can't come to the place of glory without faith. <laughs> Hallelujah. Remember, he's talking to the brothers and the sisters and the same family. And he said, listen to me. I am the firstborn. I'm the senior brother. But this is how I live. I have faith in God. I have trust in God. So if you also must follow in this family, there is one thing that identifies us with our father. We always trust him. Hallelujah. So how much trust do you have in God? Praise God. Okay. So look at verse 14. Since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. By embracing death, taking into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death. Verse 15. And freed all who 
cowed through life, scared to death of death. It's obvious, of course, but he didn't go to all this trouble for angels. It was for the people like us, children of Abraham. Did you get this? That is why, verse 17, he entered into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as a high priest to get rid of the people's sin, verse 18 says, he would have already experienced it all himself, all in the pain, all in the testing, and would be able to help where help was what was needed. Praise the living God. Did you get this? He became flesh and blood because you are flesh and blood. He went through all the pains you are passing through now. So that even as he sat down, he can have the privilege of, of ministering to you. That whatever pain you are passing through, he can intercede because he had gone through that. Hallelujah. I'm not sure any of you have gone through the kind of pain that you actually went through. Have you gotten any nail on your hands once? <laughs> Praise God. Have you gotten a torn on your head with the blood dripping down? No. But he went through all of those things and he's sitting down as a high priest to intercede. So when you are in pain, he intercedes for you because he feels the same pain. He knew what that pain was. He's gone through it. If he never had been this way, he can be your judge. He can be your savior. Praise the living God. So this is what the scripture is telling us about who is man. So what am I trying to say? Everything you see about the life of Jesus, God is bringing you into it. That's why I say he's leading all this into what? Into glory. He's bringing us a place of honor, place of glory, place of exaltation. Again, we're coming back to the place of dominion and authority. That is the thing God has in mind when he say, the scripture begins to say, what is man that you are mindful of him? But can I tell you something? Even now, without having come to that fullness of glory, you have a measure of life, of dominion, of power. You can exercise. Hallelujah. You have that privilege. Remember, oh, help me now. We've come to the community of the spirit, spirit, spirited people or spirited life people, if you will, right? That means we operate by the spirit. We walk by the spirit, not by the flesh, not by a kind of thinking, not by our senses. And when you walk in that dimension, you have control over the earth. You have control over systems. You have control over minds. Praise the living God. Are you still there with me? I need you to catch this because it's very vital. Remember we're dealing with was made a little bit lower. Why was it made a little bit lower? So that he can taste dead for who? For every man. And right at this stage, he's got a name which is above every other name. It's not just about Jesus. He's got a name which is his son. And angels and all creatures are men to worship him. Remember when it was at the time of baptism and the voice came, this is my beloved son in whom I will please. What's the next thing that happened? All creation began to respond to that. That's why the wind have to obey when he said, peace be still. The wind have to obey because that was the voice of the sun. Why? Because the wind had. Remember, is the head of all things and all created things are men now to do what? To worship him and to obey him. So the wind have to obey when he said, peace be still. Everything God created, if you like, put the devil there. It's meant to obey you. That's why you pray, the devil can listen. The devil can obey. That's why you can cast a devil. Why? You are a son of God. Everything created 
It's made to obey you. Why? Because we're a child of God. You're born of his spirit. Spirited people. That is where we are. So let this mind be in you. Now remember, it is not by anything, but just walking by simple obedience. Walking in humility before the Father. And the Spirit keep on walking in your life. Bringing transformation. On a daily basis, even your life is being transformed. More especially, Paul will say, even if this outward body perish, we are renewed. The inner mind is renewed every day. There is renewing of the inner man. There's renewing of your spirit man. There's renewing of that man of authority and dominion. Your inner man is your Christ man. Every day is being renewed. Every day is growing. So you are bound to be expanding. You are bound to be expanding. You are bound to be increasing. You are bound to come to the place of absolute authority and dominion. Anytime in every situation. Praise the living God. Friends, this is what God got for us. We are saying, what is man that we are mindful of him? That's what we're trying to explain. We're coming to the place of authority and glory. God is mindful. Why? Because he made the earth for us to do what? To inhabit and to have dominion. We are meant to control the earth, not the devil. We are meant to control the earth, not occult people. We are meant to control the earth. Is anybody following what I'm talking about? All those occult people, whatever you see, they're just imitating the original. We are the original people. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes people talk about third world and they're afraid of the third world. We are actually the third world people. We are meant to control, not anybody else. Praise God. The authority to rule is in our hands. What is my that we are mindful of him? And that has to do with the man that be redeemed. That's a man that have actually passed through the presence of salvation. In Christ Jesus, we come to the place of authority and dominion once again. Friend, you are man to rule. Go and rule. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org. God bless you.